So the past couple weeks, we've been talking about the cross. I want to take another week to look at it, but with a little bit different perspective. The question I want to look at this morning is what are you going to do with the cross? And the scripture we're going to use to look at that is Luke 9.23. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The reason I was using the NASB is because I like the, the word phrases, is which we're, we're going to look at. So there was a minister who had just planted a new church. And he wanted to get the word out that his new church was there into the community. He was eager to do this, so he looked up marketing strategies, and he read marketing books. And the thing that he found out was you needed a good slogan, something catchy, and you needed a good symbol, something easy to remember. So this morning, we're going to look at a couple of them. I want you to shout out if you know what it, what it stands for. And if there's a slogan that goes with it, I want you to, to yell that too. Is there a, lo- a slogan that they say? Forever Royal. Okay. Captain America. He's just a good guy. I would have put a Dodge up there, but it was like wanting to tear through the screen. So I didn't want to... I didn't want to do that. <clears throat> they have a bunch of them. Chevy runs deep, find your roads. Does anyone know what that is for? That's a, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, web browser. Chiefs, okay. This is for my, my, my family, my in-laws. I want to put a John Deere up there, but it just wasn't wanting to work. Sporting Kansas City. Starbucks, Twitter, good, that's a little bird tweet. Um, so if we look at Luke 9.23, what do you think the symbol would be for that, for that verse? It would be a cross. What do you think the, the slogan would be? I think it would be something like, come and die. Now that's definitely an attention getter. It's not a very attractive one, but it definitely grabs your attention. For the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the cross, But for us today, I want to look at what are we doing with the cross? We see what Jesus did with it. He took away our sins. But I want us to focus today on what's our response to that. So before we get into the scripture, I want to give you the context around it. Jesus had just gotten done feeding the 5,000 people. And so we find him now privately praying with his disciples. He was a very popular guy. So he had to hide in order to be alone with his disciples so they could debrief and learn. So we find him here praying, and he asks the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Now, that should be an easy answer because they were just around 5,000 people. I'm sure people were talking about Jesus. So they said, some think that you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Others say that you're a prophet of old. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the one that's going to save us. And then he goes on and he warns them that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to die, but he's going to be raised up on the cross. And so as we look at this this morning, we're going to look at some things that Jesus says on how to be a disciple. The first thing that he says is that anyone wishes to come after me and desire to follow. This invitation is open to anybody. The issue is, we're the ones that limit this. Maybe we are afraid what other people might think of us, so we don't want to talk about Jesus. 
Maybe we're afraid we're going to offend somebody. Maybe we look at their lifestyle and we already make an assumption. They don't want any part of Jesus. So we're actually the ones that limit this. And then he says, if anyone wishes, have a desire. What's something that you desire and have a passion for? Maybe it, you had a, a passion for getting your, a degree. Or maybe it was a career or a job or a relationship. And so you followed this with a passionate pursuit. I think back uh, about a passionate pursuit. I think of relationship. There was this guy back at college, at Bible college, and he really, really liked this girl. But the issue was they didn't have a whole lot in common. She was a runner and he wasn't. But what he did is he found out when she ran and where she ran. And he followed her. I'm just kidding. He didn't follow her. (laughs) But what he did is he would meet her. And just like the high, maybe the nod. He He wasn't in a hurry. And over time, this brought up conversation. And eventually they started dating. And now they have a couple kids. Because he pursued her with a passion. He found out her interest. That one of the interesting things is shortly after they started dating is you would see her out running and him riding a bicycle. But at least they're spending time, time, time together. I remember the night I decided to become a Christian. I looked at it a couple months before. I read a book, talked to the minister, but for some reason I just didn't want to commit to it. And I don't know what it was, but for some reason this one night, and I, I don't know what started it, I just couldn't sleep. That's all I could think about was becoming a Christian getting my sins washed away, being a a brother uh, with all the the Christians around me. And I was just so excited. So I couldn't wait the next day to go and talk to the minister. And we talked about it, and we talked about what it it requires to be a Christian. And that next Sunday, I was baptized, December 16th. And I wish I could say that it's been easy ever since. But it's it's so wonderful to have that, that burden released. You see, this is an invitation that excludes nobody. But it's following content. What we're going to talk about next is what deters people. Because Jesus requires commitment. He just asks us to commit. He takes our sins away, but he just asks us to commit to following to him. And some people aren't ready for that. The first thing that he said the person must do is deny himself. Must deny himself. The, the Greek word here, now before I try to even talk about the Greek, I took one Greek class at Bible college. So I'm not going to try to pronounce this. Actually, I'll tell you a story from whenever I was in my Greek class. For some reason, like I thought Greek, I was like, this sounds kind of cool, like this, the, the Greek language. So I was like, there's got to be a way, it's kind of a romantic language, there's got to be a way to woo a girl with using Greek. Boy, was I mistaken. So what I did is I was looking through the back of the Greek book, and I was trying to find a phrase that, that, that was catchy and it sounded kind of cool. And so I found this one, kalas gune. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. And so that, it became the time for class, and what we would do is we would take the sentences, and we would write them up on the board, and then he would go through it and mark how bad that we did with those sentences. And so I went ahead and randomly put it up there just to see what would happen. And I thought kalas gune meant a pretty girl, but it means pretty married woman. I was like, that works. I could use that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you want to be my kalas gune? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. So I only took one class of, one, one class of Greek. But, the, but I know how to use tools to, to find our definitions. The Greek word deny here is rejecting or turning away. Probably because they asked someone to be their kalas gune. So they got rejected. 
In other words, to disown. Have you ever threatened maybe your kids, maybe, maybe a family member? If you do this, I will disown you. I could get my brother to do whatever I wanted him to. All I would have had to do is threaten, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. And he would do whatever I wanted to. Sometimes it still works. And another, another commentary, use refuse association with. Do you have anybody that just gets underneath your skin that you just can't stand? Maybe you see them at work or at school and you, you go around to avoid them. You just, they just bug you. Maybe they have different political views. And that's all I'm going to say about political views. Maybe they like a different sporting team than you do and you just, they just irritate you. Because every time your team wins and you're rubbing it in their face, whatever, whatever it is, may, we have people that we refuse to associate with. It could be their lifestyle. Maybe they have a, a lifestyle that's not of Christ and so we don't want any part of that. If their name and our name get brought up in a, the same sentence, we get frustrated because we want to have absolutely nothing to do with them. Refuse association with. And that's the image that we see here whenever we deny ourselves. To refuse association with ourselves. This may mean giving up banana muffins, selfish gratification. We, we can't be self-indulgent as a Christian. We may have to give up our hobbies. Jesus at one time, he says, in comparison to me, you must hate your own life and your own family. This is especially difficult in the culture that says, do what feels right, or follow your own heart. Peer pressure is such a big deal that our students face. This Bible, it used to stick up more. Like, it used to, like, because I, I don't know, I left it in my truck or something. And so what I've been doing is I've been putting it in my office, upside down, and I've been putting a bunch of books on it to get it to bend back. And that's kind of what peer pressure is. If we let it bother us, it forms it. It forms us to them. So our students, a couple of week, a months ago, uh, we do a, a Wednesday school after program for the middle schoolers. And we were talking about this concept, about culture, and we have to be careful um, when we're in the culture that it doesn't conform us. And I told them, I said, guys, it's dangerous to follow your own heart. They looked at me like I had two heads. They're like, everybody at school tells us that we need to follow our own heart. Everybody at school is saying that. Jeff Walling He's a, a preacher that he goes around to different youth events like NYR and CIY. And he talked about this last time that we were at CIY Believe. He said, guys, it is dangerous. I know you go to school and I know the whole culture says to follow your own heart. And Jeff Walling reminded us that in Jeremiah 17, God actually says our heart can be deceptive. We can be against something one moment, like completely against it. But the more we desire it, the more we want it, we can justify it, completely turn it around to the point where we're like, I need this. Like, I need this cup of coffee to get through the day. Whatever, whatever it may be, I could go on. There's things that I, I need to go hunting. You know, that, that would be like my, my, my per personal thing. So we have to be careful when we're in this culture. John Wesley, when he was at Oxford, he had an accountability group. And so he made this list of questions that they would ask each other. I'm going to read a couple of them on here. These aren't easy to ask, and they're not easy to answer. Am I creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? That's the first question. Do I confidently pass on to others what has been said to me in confidence? Can I be trusted? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? You could probably add on their social media. 
Am I a self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? Am I enjoying prayer? When did I last speak to someone of my faith? Do I pray about the money I spend? Did I disobey God at anything? How do I spend my spare time? Am I proud? Do I grumble or complain constantly? The last one is Christ real in me. John Wesley said this in Mere Christianity. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch and a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tree tooth or crown it or stop it, but I want to have it completely out. You see, Jesus does not want to be just one of many things that we do on Sunday, on Wednesday, just a box that we get out, okay, there's Jesus, and put him back on the shelf. He wants to be our one and only, and everything else comes into that. And part of that, what that looks like is daily carrying your cross. And that's the next thing he asks us to do, is take up our cross daily. This is the first time that the cross is mentioned in the book of Luke. The interesting thing is the disciples have not seen Christ die on the cross yet. See, when I first read this, I was like, okay, Christ wants me to be just like him and and take up my cross daily. But to them, it was something different because Christ hadn't died yet. So what was it like whenever they first heard this, when the disciples first heard this, to take up their cross daily? The past couple weeks, Sid's talked about the cross and what that meant. See, this cross was saved for the people who had done the worst, the worst criminals. What they would do, and Sid mentioned this, and we'll go over it again, is once they were sentenced, they would be flogged with 39 lashes. What they would do is they would put bone in the whip so that way they could tear the flesh off of the individual. Do you guys ever feel like you're going through a temptation? And for whatever reason, you just feel like you can't go through it. You're like, God, please take this away from me. I, I, I can't make it anymore. And it just feels like you're being ripped in two. If the individual could pass, could live through the flogging, they would have to carry the beam to the place where they would do the, the crucifixion. And people, while they were carrying the beam, would insult them. They'd throw things at them and yell at them. Which makes me wonder, is there any time where I go through a trial Are there times where I feel that everybody's looking at me, they're waiting for me to mess up? Whatever trial this is, maybe it's a medical thing, maybe it's financial, Lord, I don't know if I could get through this. How am I going to get through this? Then once the individual was taken, then they would put the nails in the hand and they would raise them up. Do we ever feel like God's just completely ignored us in a situation? Lord, where are you at in this? But then we remember that on Easter, we get to celebrate, which was last week, when Christ rose from the grave. And then if we make it through that trial, it feels so wonderful going through it. We look back, and we look at how God carried us through that that circumstance. Lord, thank you so much for for getting me through that. I don't know how I was going to make it. And it makes us stronger on the other side. So what Jesus is doing here is he's warning them. What could happen when you're a Christian? There's going to be trials and there's going to be temptations. The world does not like Christ. 
for whatever reason. They just, they don't. And so whenever we become a Christian, we kind of put a target on ourselves because the devil's going to do whatever he can to, to, to get us off path. Being a Christian is not all ro- roses and staying at the Ritz. And that's what he's telling the disciples here. Guys, this is not an easy choice. Which makes me ask myself, am I really carrying the cross if there's no suffering and sacrifice? If I'm not suffering and sacrificing, am I really following Jesus? Now, I'm not saying we should go out and look for persecution. It'll find you. But if I'm not making a sacrifice for God, is there an issue there? When was the last time following Jesus cost you something? Maybe you play by the rules at work, and so you didn't get a promotion. Maybe you lost a friend because you decided to follow Jesus. Maybe you lost a family member. In some cultures, it's not okay to follow Jesus and the family. If you do that, you you take that choice, the family will actually disown you completely. When was the last time following Jesus cost you something? Later in Luke chapter 14, we find a large crowd of people following Jesus. Now, most of the time, we're like, oh, cool, I posted something on Instagram, I got like 100 likes. You know, we're like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you put baby pictures on Facebook, oh my goodness, Rachel, like we have a, we have a five-month-old, and it's just like, like, I don't even know what, I don't even get on there anymore, it's just, it's like crazy. And so, we, most of the time, if a large people is like following us and rooting for us, we think that's really cool. But in Luke 14, Jesus turns around and he tells them, Many of you shouldn't be here, paraphrasing. Many of you shouldn't be here. He said, and if you want to be my disciple and follow me, you have to take up your cross daily and deny yourself. He also, and he explains it this way. If you have a house, if you want to build a house, who doesn't first stop and make sure you have all the finances and resources? How embarrassing would it be to start a house and have to stop halfway because you couldn't afford more? The next The next example he gives, he says, Who before going into battle don't count your men and count their men? 1,000 versus 2,000. How embarrassing would it be to get in the middle of a war, in the middle of a battle, and be like, Oh, wait, I didn't count my guys. Um, I I preacher counted them, and there's way too many of them. Um, So if uh, if we could stop this battle and maybe, like, wait until I could recruit some more. No, that never happens. That would be embarrassing. So what Jesus wants us to do is count the cost he wants us to know the commitment that we're getting into. It takes daily conscious effort to carry your cross. It takes discipline, which is being a disciple. And that's what he asks us to do, is follow me. A disciple would want to go wherever the rabbi went. If the, disciple was, if the rabbi was walking, the disciple would be walking. If the rabbi was sleeping, the disciple would be sleeping. The rabbi was going to the restroom. You understand, like, the, the disciple wanted to be everywhere that the rabbi was. Do you remember who your superhero was growing up? Just shout out, who's your, if you remember, who was your superhero growing up? Wonder Woman. That's all I heard is Wonder Woman. <laughs> Maybe Captain America, Batman, the famous ones, Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. Maybe it was a firefighter. Um, so if you had this hero... You probably would dress up for them. You, you would prob- you, your room was probably covered in, in their stuff because you wanted to be just like the superhero and you looked up to them. Maybe if you were in a situation, you had a bully, and you thought, man, what would my superhero do right now? And that probably got your attention. 
But you remember what that was like. Maybe you looked up to a family member or someone for whatever reason, and you wanted to be just like them. In Kyle Eidelman's book, Not a Fan, we took the middle schoolers through this, and it, it basically it, it spells out the difference between a follower and a fan. Let me kind of ask it like this. Who in here is a Royals fan? Who in here was a Royals fan three years ago? What about ten years ago? Some of you are lying. Um, so, but the, the point is, like, some of you guys have followed the Royals forever. Whether they lose, whether they win, you know where they were at. And then here recently, they're becoming popular. And so the, the point here with being a follower and not a fan is Kyle said that a lot of us as Christians are just fans. We come to church, we root for Jesus, we might put religious, or religious views, Christian on Facebook. And so some of us aren't fully invested in the game. It's just a partial thing. We're not fully there. Being a disciple means we're working constantly to be just like Christ. And part of being a disciple is being a disciple maker. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Are you telling others about Christ? And whenever we share him, whenever we evangelize, how are we explaining it's, it's to be like a Christian? Are we saying, hey, this is an easy choice? Or are we telling them, Christ wants all of you? If you've had a chance to go through the real-life discipleship class, it, we give you some pointers on, on how to, to, to evangelize and talk to people and share his word. An, an interesting thing is I heard recently is there's this thing called red light, yellow light, green light. So basically, if you're talking to someone about Jesus and they want to have absolutely positively no part in the conversation, I would just stop. Because arguing, how many times do we ever argue with someone about Christ and it wins them over? It just does, it doesn't happen. So someone absolutely positively doesn't want to have a conversation, just, just stop the conversation and, and pray for them. Now, the yellow light, maybe someone is kind of hesitant. So what we do is we'll, we'll check back with them, maybe a, a couple days, maybe a week, and we'll, and we'll talk to them again and see if that light's changed. And every once in a while, we'll get some green-lighted people People who genuinely just are thirsting for answers and who want to know Jesus. So next time you're trying to talk about Christ, keep that, keep that in mind. Who in your circle of people do people say Jesus is? Now, whenever I say circle, who are the people you work with? The people that maybe your family members, your friends? Who in that group of individuals do they say Jesus is? You guys are the best uh, missionaries in your circle of friends because you work with them you understand what they're going through so you can do a lot more than the ministers can and it, at times when you carry the name minister it completely changes people's attitude so you guys can have a huge effect on people I like the saying give a man a fish feed him for a day teach a man a fish and feed him for a lifetime and that's the idea we hear making disciples who make disciples who make disciples so in your circle of friends, who do they say Jesus is? But more importantly, who do you tell them that Jesus is? Is he just another guy that you know, that you read about? Or is it a real life choice? Is it someone who's completely changed your way of thinking and your lifestyle? What are you doing with the cross? We can read what the disciples did. The disciples went on. They started churches. They wrote letters that we can now read. 
Christ completely impacted them. So what are you doing with the cross? The cross that represented defeat for a follower is an image of victory. The cross that represented guilt for a follower it is an image of grace. The cross that represented condemnation for a follower it is an image of freedom. The cross represented pain and suffering. For a follower, it has an image of healing and hope. The cross that represented death, for a follower, it has an image of life. The cross may not be attractive, but for a follower, it has beauty. So maybe you don't know what to do with Jesus. Maybe you want to know about him more. So I invite you to come during the song. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your son. Lord, as we read about the trials and temptations that he warns us about, but that he carries us through, that gives us hope. Lord, as it may not be easy to be a Christian, all you ask for us is just obedience and to strive to be more like your son and to know him more. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.